Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Uh, today we're starting Mind and Heart, Heart and Mind, whichever order you want to put it in. And, uh, and I love that we started this song, Lift You High, and it sings about, I'm going to lift you high in my mind and in my heart, uh, because, uh, and that was kind of somewhat accidental, um, but uh, I love that, because I think both are necessary, and I'm going to talk about that in, in a few minutes. I do want to mention that this week, we are kicking dinner parties off again. Um, obviously, with everything going on, it's a little less of like a hoorah kind of thing. We're going to figure out how this works, but we are definitely trying to get people around the table again. I know like in our, our Southside crew, they've, they've, been, um, they've been doing it at a park, so it's outside. It's a little more comfortable, a little more easy. I, I just let my kids run around when I show up at that one, uh, and I, hopefully they come back to me. And uh, it's, been, it's been really good. So dinner parties, if, if you're new with us or still trying to figure out who we are, uh, dinner parties are a major part of who we are, which is why COVID is a little bit different for all of us. It really kind of messed with us a little bit because the table is so paramount. In fact, when we ended, when we had to shut everything down, we had just ended a pattern called temple to table. And I believe the early church went from the temple to the table and back again. It was a rhythm and a pattern of their life. And, uh, And sometimes what we do in church is we think that the table has to have a curriculum. I just think the table has to have people and food. And if you're willing to be honest and you're willing to be authentic and you're willing to actually spend more than 60 minutes with them, you will get to the good stuff. Y'all know, you guys already know this. The good stuff at a community group, however you want to call it, I'm not bashing this at all. I had a good conversation with a buddy of mine at Roots the other day. Well, and, uh, but, but you know the good stuff at a community group happens in minute 67. Right? Like 1 to 60 is good. But it's like 60 to 90 that really hits like the fans sometimes. You know, like that's where you really get into the stuff. And, uh, and so... Uh, dinner parties are a big part of who we are. We believe that getting around the table, showing each other hospitality is, is a work of the Spirit. Uh, we believe that it is uh, authentic, uh, genuine hospitality is the one done by Jesus. And so uh, it's where we get to wash each other's feet when you walk in the door because we know you had a week. And uh, we're not going to hold it against you. We're going to hold up your feet, wash them off, and set you at the table right again. Amen? And so that's who we are. And then yesterday, uh, uh, Heather and about six, seven of our guys and a few others, I think Heather's just done a great job of pulling people in, uh, went down to Lancaster, the first one in several months, just for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And uh, you had like 30 pizzas and a bunch of waters and a bunch of clothes to hand out, and it's just the beginning. So that's fantastic. Props to you, Heather, and props to those guys who were able to, to make it out. It's such an awesome thing. Every street matters. Amen? Come on. Awesome. Hey, I wanna, um, I want you, I'm just going to read a couple verses. Uh, they'll be on the screen. You can open your Bible to them. That's fine, but I'm going to read them quickly, so you may not want to hang out there. If you want to get ahead, you can go to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to read a few more verses than just what I'm about to do. I, I think here's what I, Meredith knows this, um, that my, the greatest challenge for me anytime I'm preparing a message is the first week of any kind of series or pattern. Because I want to say everything in the first week. It's, it's like, I just, I want to give you all the stuff, and then the next few weeks will be easy. And then I, I kind of have to hold back. And I don't like getting into a thing without first setting up a thing. And so it's always hard for me to kind of go, okay, here's what we're going to be talking about, and then to only stay where I'm supposed to stay. And so I hope that you go with me today uh, on, on what we're talking about. But we do want to start a new pattern just for a few weeks before we get to power and politics. Um, and then we'll get into late November, we'll get into Advent season, which is going to be awesome. 
I'm, I'm excited about that. I want to read a few verses to you around this heart and mind. And I, I think this is oh, so important. It's so important. And I want to get ahead of myself in this message. But I, I do feel as though, um, and see, some of you guys feel, you, th- you heard the word feel, and so you th- you're thinking heart, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, I think we're going to break down some definitions today. Uh, but I do have this thought that, that, um, that for many of us, we're functioning at the moment, and for a lot of different reasons, either with our heart or with our mind. And we tend to live in this place where we believe that is how it has to be. That I either need to have emotions about this thing, or I need to be able to rationalize this thing, and I can't do them at the same time. That somehow heart and mind belong separate from one another. And this is where translating a Bible gets a little bit difficult because you begin to realize that the Greek language and even the Hebrew language didn't really have the words that we have and we don't have the words they have. And we can't always give an incredible definition to a particular Hebrew or Greek word. That's why I think something like, uh, I know my mom loves the Amplified Translation. Because it gives you like seven words, just pick the one that hits you the best. And so there's this kind of ongoing thing for all of us where this is why when you read the Bible and you read the same verse on multiple occasions, just like reading that communion verse we just read, every time I read it, I think of something different. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the good news. It's the beauty of Jesus that every time you look at him, you discover more. And so I want to kind of bust through a little bit of, of what this is. And, and what we're doing. But before I do that, I'm going to do something that I forgot last week. Um, we, are, we are part of uh, C3 Global. You guys might or might not know that. And we are part of a church movement around the world, about 600 different churches all over the world. Not just in, like, uh, not just in America or Europe, but all over, from Uganda to Australia to uh, we, where's it? Bulgaria. To, we, we, they're all over the place. And, uh, and what happens is um, the, each area, each region has its own oversight. Uh, so Meredith and I are not just winging it. Uh, we are not just hoping we're getting it right. Uh, we have people who call us, check in on us, uh, pastor us, love us. And recently, we've had a change in who's overseeing us. For many years, it's been Jurgen and Liam Matissius out of San Diego. Incredible people. Just, man, they just charge ahead. They're just some of the most faith-filled people and, uh, and and, but recently, they've stepped out of that role, and now a couple named Simon and Val McIntyre. Now, I just want you to know something. Simon was my first exposure to C3, and he said all the things that you're not supposed to say from the pulpit, and it made me love this movement. Uh, he said things you are not allowed to say. He is the smartest, uh, most intellectual person in the movement, most likely. He is also the most sarcastic and dry-humored person you will ever meet. And so I love him. I think he's amazing, and he's going to be good for us. Very different. Simon and Val are very different than Jurgen and Leanne. Uh, but they did a little video. This is going to apply really, really well to some of you. To some of you, are just going to be two people on a screen. All right? So we're going to kick the lights off. I want, I just, they just wanted to introduce themselves to us because we want you guys to know uh, that we're part of something bigger than that. All right? And then we'll jump into this message. All right. Why don't you guys watch this real quick? Hello, C3 America. This is Valerie McIntyre. I used to be Donati before I got married to that man right there 10 years ago. Lucky, lucky girl. Yeah, lucky girl. Lucky girl for real, actually. Um, so, hey, just a little bit about me um, and cannot wait to meet 
as many of you as possible. Yeah. Um, I have been in the C3 uh, family of churches since 2003. I was living in New York City and I um, was invited into C3 in Manhattan and I uh, just didn't leave. I, I was in love. Um, I was under the leadership of Stephen and Melissa Hickson, who are outstanding pastors, just really excellent, faith-filled, uh, you know, God, you know, uh, ordained people who have just done wonderful things in that city. And I got, was there for 10 years. I made lifelong friendships there. Uh, it was just such a dynamic uh, community. Then I met him, <laughs> Simon, and um, and I was like, what, mid-40s, never been married, so I was, I was pretty psyched. We got together, and he moved me to Europe, so um, we came over to oversee a church here. C3 London has recently been passed on to an amazing couple, and um, and we also were overseeing, uh, and still are, C3 Europe uh, for the past 10 years, and that's, been, we've grown that about Gosh, it's been doubled or tripled. Since, tripled, actually. Yeah, tripled since yeah. we got uh, here. Who's counting? Um, it's been the huge, huge opportunity of a lifetime just to serve this incredible region, these incredible pastors and people all over the place, actually. Um, but as you can tell, I'm an American lady, so I am really looking forward to coming home and being back on home soil and serving you. I cannot wait, and I'm just counting down the day. So lots of love, and I really hope I can meet as many of you as possible. So if I'm around, just come and grab me and say hi. Yeah, yeah look, we're on our way. Um, I'm still working on a visa, so we'd really appreciate you praying for us. It's a fairly simple work visa between Australia and the US, and I tick the boxes, fortunately, and so it's un underway, and we hope to be with you by the end of the year. I know that's a bit of a stretch in some ways, because we really feel like we need to be there in the US, connecting, building friendships, and caring for your pastors. And look, if you're in a church and you don't ever get to actually meet us, we want you to know that our prime goal is the care of and the prospering of and the oversight of your pastors to make sure that they have, are healthy and that their marriages are good and that they, they just have a general sense of well-being about them because we know this, healthy pastor, healthy Mrs. Pastor, healthy church. And so that's our goal. We'll be, we'll be concentrating on like what we would call table rather than pulpit be spending time in smaller groups. And we want to do in America, with God's help and grace, what we have been able to do here in Europe, which has just been absolutely wonderful, a great privilege for both Valerie and I. We've never done this before, and so now we come to you, um, and we won't be trying us out on you. Uh, we, we've got some runs under our belt, and uh, we've got some experience to bring your way. So we hope to be with you, as I said, by the end of the year. Really looking forward to putting our heart and our soul into the C3 Americas and overseeing that for the next maybe three to four years and looking toward the future as well. In some ways, it's not about Valerie and I. It'll be about us looking for the future. We also wanted to take just a moment to thank Jürgen and Leanne for their care and love for many of you, if not all of you, and for their oversight of C3 over the last five to six years. Valerie and I are very different and will bring something different um, not better or worse, but it'll be different, and we hope that it'll bless and build this marvelous family, the C3 family. I think we're known for that most of all, family, spirit, and, uh, and connectivity. So we're going to be connecting, friends. Can't wait to get there. See you all soon. Awesome. Isn't that cool? No, I love that. I love that. That way you guys know who to blame if something goes wrong here. Okay, so...
No, I love that. I really do. I love Simon and Val. I love who they are. I love their journey. It's been a wild one. And if you, uh, if you haven't checked out C3 Global's Instagram, they've been putting out some um, videos around who they are and who we are and how this all started. And so you can check those out uh, over there. All right, I want to read a few verses to you. Then I want to jump into it. I feel like I'm, I'm bouncing all over the place. I want to get back into this. All right, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Again, you guys can jump to Philippians Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In Acts, Luke writes this, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. They were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they had everything in common. So my guess is that unity has to do with more than just your heart and more than just your mind. Jeremiah 17.10, I did not get these to the guys, so don't scramble back there. You're good. You didn't mess anything up. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. I examine the mind and I test the heart. You never really know what's in your heart until you test it. So we are in this pattern, heart and mind. I think it's interesting in the Gospels and you read throughout really all the scope of Scripture and you see these words heart and mind over and over and over again. And there are times where you hear these words and they don't make sense for the way that we view them. We see things where we, we read these words, we read the word mind and we hear feeling in the verse surrounding it. We read the word heart and we, we, we read the word thought or thinking in the verse or the words surrounding it. They don't always connect. For us, to, to say we have a mind is to say that we think. To say that we are rational. To say that we are people of reason. To say our heart, we, are, we say that we are people who feel. Uh, people who have emotions. People uh, who have motives in the decisions that we're making. I had a long conversation with uh, Thomas this past week, uh, and we were talking about a few different things, but uh, then he got me started on some of the things that are happening in our culture right now. And, and we were talking about some stuff, and, and we were talking about this this dichotomy between kind of emotions, how we feel, how we're using feeling as directions rather than data. We believe that the way we feel in a moment is the way we should go in the moment. Anyone ever regretted that? But he's so cute. Just saying. And, uh, and so we, we have these emotions about a thing. We have a feeling about a thing. And it becomes, it feels like wisdom in the moment. Right? We, we have, we, or, or we push back, we go, I can't be, what, emotional about this, I need to be rational about this, I need to think about this, I need to really sit down and do my pro-con list, right, I need to sit down and look at the statistics, I need to sit down and look at what actually is in the data, and I can't think emotionally about this. In fact, I saw this graphic this week that I thought was awesome. If you guys could throw it up there. Uh, there's this, this graphic that I saw, and I thought, this is, this is, this is how we live our life. We tend to live, oh, no, 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 I can't be emotional, cross that out, I need to be rational. Or you can flip that, we can go, I need to be rational right now, not emotional. I just want to give you a little bit of a, a tip here. 
The Hebrew writers didn't have a word for these, and the, and the Greek writers didn't really have a word for these. Why? Because they looked at them as pretty much the same thing. Like most of Hebrew language talks about organs. When you think about soul, there's one word that tra- translate that, translates that as throat. That your soul is your throat. What are the things that, are, that you're feeding on? What are the things that you're taking in? I, th- everything that they kind of tended to have, they, there's always some kind of organ or something that connects to that word. And for, for the Hebrew writers and even for the Greek writers, even though there were some differences, and we'll talk about them over the next few weeks, there was much more similar than different. In other words, there are times where your mind feels and your heart thinks. There are times where the, the, the thoughts that go through your mind are actually the feelings that are being driven from your heart and vice versa. And we can tend to think that they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, that my heart's over here, my mind's over there, and I can't use both at the same time. But if you were just to look at the way your actual heart works and your actual mind works, is that they, they have to work together or this thing doesn't work. If one of them is not engaged, then your body's not going to do what it needs to do. These have to work together, or you actually are not fulfilling the things God's put in front of you. One commentary said this, Why then can the mind as well as the heart be spoken of as the center of a person? Because in Hebrew thought, a person is looked at as a single entity with no attempt to compartmentalize the person into separate parts which act more or less independently of one another. Therefore, the heart, mind, and soul, while in some ways different, are seen as one. We create, yeah, one. We create this this false dichotomy. We create this false difference. We create this place where I can't engage one and the other at the same time. I actually think the body of Christ should be amazing at making sure, both in my emotion and in my rationalization, I am engaging both parts. And we need that now more than ever. We need to be able, uh, one writer that I follow, uh, he called it stories and data. I just like when both words start with the same letter because I'm a preacher. I would say stories and stats. If I were to argue with you who's the greatest basketball player on the planet, we would both do two things. We would reference the stories we remember about the person, and we would reference the stats that we have about the person. And those may not always line up. That's why we need both of them. And in our life, and as we walk through our life, we need to make sure that our heart and mind are engaged at the same time. And they may in some ways fulfill different purposes, but they cannot live exclusive from one another. I mean, Jesus would even do this. Jesus would walk into a situation, have compassion upon a people, heal them, and in the very same moment, the Pharisees would challenge him with a question, and he would have to be ready and able in that moment of compassion for a person to heal, to be able to engage his mind to argue, to be able to ask them a question like Socrates and go, well, what about this? And he always caught them. He always, he always got them right where they, they, they just weren't expecting the genius. Why? Because we typically think someone who is being very emotional is being very irrational. And we tend to think someone who is very rational can't possibly be emotional. They talk very monotonous, right? They don't get excited about anything. And we may lend ourselves to one or the other in our own personalities, and that's fine. 
why, do I, why am I hammering this home? Because I believe we're in a place and time in our culture and in our country and, and, and really just in our lives where, where if we are following the pattern of Jesus, we must both engage our heart to feel and our mind to think, and yet the Hebrew writers would not necessarily have made that separation. They would not have necessarily made that distinction in every moment. They, they would have thought about the heart and mind being at the, at the center of who we are. They would have thought of the heart as the thing that thinks. And so for you and I, we, we create this false dichotomy almost as though if this is true, then that can't be true. Or if that isn't true, then that has to be true. And we begin to create these things in our life where, well, if I'm, if I'm being rational here, I can't possibly care about it. And if I care about it too much, then I won't be rational about it. That's not really the way God works. God feels it deeply and thinks it through. He, he, he allows his emotions not to be directional, but to be data. But he also allows his heart and his mind to work together towards a purpose. But I wanted to focus on one thing today, because if we're going to jump into this and we're going to be honest about it, because I do think I'm going to talk through some things that might challenge us, um, might push back on some of the things and the ways we look at um, our life and the way we look at our city and the way we look at our culture and the way we look at relationship. Uh, what does our mind do? What does our heart do? And why are these things so important that we use them together? Um, I have to set a bit of a tone for you. I have to say, make sure that over the next few weeks that you are thinking the way Jesus thought. Right? I love, I love the bracelet, what would Jesus do? And that's fine. But that puts a lot of pressure on your behavior and not, much, not enough pressure on your thought process. Usually your behavior is derived from your thought process. Right? It is when you are only being emotional or you are only being rational that you make some decisions you shouldn't make or miss decisions you should make. When you're being too rational, you'll, you won't go for it. You'll hold back. Well, the cons list is bigger than the pro list. Yeah, but you love this. You need to give it a shot. Go talk to the girl. We can, we can get ourselves caught up in a place where we're one or the other. God has not built you that way. He has not built you to ignore the way you're feeling. He has also not built you to, to put your, check your mind at the door. I want the church to be the ones who I lift him high in my heart and I lift him high in my mind. And he reigns supreme in both, and so I can trust them both. Right, I want to turn to Philippians, and I want to just talk through uh, just a few verses. I'm going to read all 11, first, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll close. Um, and I'm going to just set a tone with this and, uh, and make sure that we, we kind of set ourselves up for the next um, a few weeks, and then also that we know that uh, we know that we serve Jesus, and Jesus is this. So Paul is speaking to the uh, the people of Philippi, and he's saying to them, "This is who Jesus is. This is how he processed. This is how he thought through things." Again, I think so many times we become a culture of feelings, um, and that I don't think that's a bad thing because I think for a long time we were a culture of the opposite. Okay, so it's fine. We just tend to be people of extremes. We tend to swing the pendulum one way or the other. And Jesus didn't tend to do that. Jesus walked down the street, cried for people, and helped people, and taught people, and loved people, and did all of it. Fed people. He did it all. And, uh, and that's who we should be. We should be in this place, not people of extremes. We should be people who can walk into a room and bring both sides together. Are you with me? All right. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If, then, there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Now he's saying this, he's not saying this, is there? He's not asking a question. He's in some ways making this a rhetorical statement. If there is, and we know there is. If there is, and we know there is, then. Does that make sense? So if there is this thing, verse 2, make my joy complete. Help me out, please. By thinking the same way. Some of you just threw your head back, rolled your eyes, sitting next to your spouse or your best friend, and you're going, no, that's never going to happen. I want to go shopping after church. You want to go watch the game. We're not going to be thinking the same way. Um, keep the main thing the main thing. That'll help you out. Make my joy complete by thinking, thinking, thinking the same way. Having the same love. Isn't that interesting? Mind and heart seem to be right there in verse 2. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way and having the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Purpose will always make the difference. If you're having issues in marriage, talk about your purpose. If you're having issues in business, talk about your purpose. If you're having an issue in just, just how you're feeling, Think about your purpose. Always put your purpose in front of you because God gave it to you for a reason. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's a tough one, okay? But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. This is not Paul saying there are other people who are more important than you. He is saying prioritize people and their purpose. Bishop Bronner talks about this idea that most people don't achieve their dreams because they never helped anybody else achieve theirs. I know, I should just quote him all the time, right? He's good. Um, and, and use all the big words that he uses. He's six languages and it's not fair. So, but this idea that, that we should be people who, even though we are of equal value, we should look at one another valuing each other more. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that pull back on some of the things? I'm, and this is why heart and mind is so important. As we live out these next eight weeks together, God bless us, Right? Uh, towards the election. As we, as we live out some of these things, people are going to be throwing, throwing bombs at each other that don't get on Twitter. Just don't do it. I do it seven times a day and it just makes me depressed. Don't do it. But in it, right, in all of what we're about to do, all about what we're about to walk through, because my guess is that you all don't see the world the same. That's just my guess. I'm just guessing that you sitting in different places, different spots. You just may not see uh, Biden the same way, Trump the same way. You may not see uh, certain scenarios and situations the same way. And this is what Paul is speaking to. Paul isn't writing a letter to the Philippians because there's a major issue in the church. There, there, in most of his letters, he's correcting some things. In most of his letters, he's correcting some kind of uh, doctrine that's gotten off. He's correcting some kind of theology and what they viewed God or how they viewed God. He's correcting some of these things. In this letter, he is more or less basically saying, hey, in the future, because I've written a few letters, there are going to be opportunities for division. Make sure your mind and heart are set on the same thing. Make sure your heart and your mind are set on the same thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Good luck with that. Empowered by the Spirit, amen. Come on, Paul doesn't write letters trying to make sure you know you're supposed to be better, but so you know the Holy Spirit can make you better. Verse 4, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now this verse is important. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Make sure you have the attitude of Christ. In most translations, anybody have a translation that you're reading with me that says mind Anyone got mind? Anyone? 
Okay, we got a few. You guys just say, okay, okay. Emma's got, got mine. In this translation, many people, many translations say that word. They will say, have the mind, the mind of Christ. Now again, for many of us, we look at that graph and we go, okay, so I need to rationalize the way Jesus rationalized. Not the way the, the Greek writers were writing this. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, in your mind, in your thought process, have the same attitude as Jesus. Have the same perception. Have the same looking upon a scenario and situation as Jesus did. I want you to think the way he thought about it. And the way we think is the way we perceive. It's our attitude, the way our perception of things. And so if you perceive, like, it's, it is the... It is the it is the ongoing problem of terrible grammar in text messages. When I thought I knew what you were saying, but I had no clue because you forgot a comma or you put a period where you should have put a question mark. I'm just saying, if we asked more questions and said more statement, less statements, we would be much better off. That's why James said you got, hey, listen, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Make it your first step. We got, man, we got far too many, post, far many, too many people posting statements and not asking questions. And you know why? It's not because they don't want to ask questions. It's because we demonize them. We think if you ask a question that you are somehow stating an affirmative. That you are stating your position simply by asking the question. Don't get me started. I'm trying not to say, okay, so... I want to be a people. I believe the church should be a people who are asking just as many questions as they are ans giving answers. The church got a bad rap because all it ever did was tell you exactly how it is. And that's fine, I understand that, but Eastern tradition of, of the following of the gospel, the good news, the, the, the way it was prior to even Western, and there's again good and bad in both of these, but in the Eastern tradition, mystery was a virtue. It was not to be condemned. It was not to be looked down upon. They would read a verse and go, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. This is awesome. What do I got to dig into? The mystery should prompt you to say, I want to lean in, not I'm going to step away. We get so afraid of, of the questions, of the, of the I don't know, and I'm not sure that we won't even say it anymore. I think this is true. Anybody got any other thoughts on it? I think this might be what I believe, but I'm not entirely sure yet. I'm at 72%. What are you at? Come on, can we just be a little more honest with ourselves? Be a little more honest with each other. This is not a world of good people and bad people. This is a world of people who are both good and bad. We all got it. And Jesus wants us to engage our mind and our heart in such a way that we have grace and we have truth, that we have the stories and we have the stats, and in both of them, we bring people together because we are like Jesus. We think the same, and we have the same love, born of the Spirit, with the same purpose. Okay, but Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, and then he explains it, and I'm going to end here. Who existing in the form of God did not consider, he's talking about Jesus here, okay? Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Paul's not saying he couldn't have exploited it. Paul's not saying Jesus wasn't equal. He's saying that Jesus didn't take on the attitude of, hey, look at me, I am God. He doesn't go tell everybody. He goes, don't tell everybody just yet. 
I've still got things to do. I'm still working things out. I'm still putting things in place. And the way I'm going to be elevated is by giving myself fully and completely on a cross. He cried tears of blood, sweat, drops of blood for you and me. That's how he showed his love towards us. Instead, he emptied himself. He emptied himself by assuming sorry, the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Humility is something you do to yourself. Humility is something you do to yourself. You do not want other people to humble you. You do not want God to humble you. I've been there. I'm not saying he's doing it heavy-handed, but he might just have to remind you that you don't run this house. Humility is a much better and much more well-received when you do it to yourself. Humble yourself like Jesus did with the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the thoughts of Christ. I humbled myself even to the point of death. And one quote I read this week, I thought it was so brilliant. Colin Bloy said, okay. And it was more like, okay, do I really have to do that? So Christ emptied himself, period. Behold our pattern. <laughs> there it is. Christ emptied himself. Behold our pattern. As one other person said it, he was lowly-minded, and so we should be like-minded. Jesus didn't come. I mean, he, gosh, he rose to his crescendo moment on a donkey. Jesus was not all about himself. He was only here for you. He was here to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, not in heaven. Here, now, in our being, in this community, as humans, to remind us of what it is to be fully human to be empty of our own vain pursuits, to be emptied of our own pride and ego. That doesn't mean you don't have dreams. It doesn't mean you don't have purpose. In fact, it has none of that. It means to enjoy your purpose and enjoy your dream with the greatest of intent and with the purest of motives. And so you don't ever look back and go, who did I take advantage of? Who did I leave along the way? Who did I hurt in the process? No, you knew the whole time you were about the glory of God. You knew the whole time that you were about people and loving people. And it made the journey that much more enjoyable. So when the money didn't come, but the people were changed, my God, you still had something to do. When the, the, the business wasn't successful, but the hearts of men and women were changed by your generosity, that was purpose. And when the other stuff came, fine, cherry on top, awesome, amazing. But I will empty myself, and behold, that is the pattern of my life. I will live in unity with people when I start considering people. I will live with a one heart and one mind when I actually give value to the hearts and minds of others this next eight weeks and it's not just going to end at eight weeks come on we understand that the world has a faulty value system it's not going to end there we have to be people who in this moment are not people who are just lobbing grenades to the other side and going see i told you so that is not hard to do that's the easy part the church doesn't do the easy part the church does the jesus part I empty myself of all my own vain conceit, all my own pride, and I look like Jesus in this moment. And I bring one person from that side and one person from that side. I put them at the table and I say, you are 
human. You are loved. You are not all bad. And you are not all good. We all need Jesus. He is what humanity looks like. And we must have the mind of Christ. I'm going to read the last part and we're going to pray. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, because at some point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hear me. What did it for Jesus? What made the difference for Jesus? It wasn't his eloquent speech. It wasn't his amazing compassion. It was his willingness to put forth the attitude that says, I'm not looking for equality with God. I'm not trying to run my own life. I'm not trying to do this all by myself. I am emptying myself for the good of the people who I was sent for. And in so doing, God exalted him to a place where his name is above every other name. Amen? Come on, let's be the church right now. Let's be the church. Let's put kingdom out there. Let's put Jesus out there. I, 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 listen, I want to argue with the best of them. I enjoy it too much. It's also how I process. You get a rebuttal from me, it's not because I think I'm right. It's because I'm not sure yet. I need your help. Let's be people who ask questions even when culture doesn't want to value them. Let's be people who free people up to every once in a while say, I don't know. Every once in a while to say, I think. Every once in a while go, I'm feeling this way, but I'm not sure. But let's put our heart and our mind together because that is how Jesus made you. It is how Jesus created you. Quit trying to be rational and not emotional. Quit trying to be emotional and not rational. Do them all at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Come on, bow your heads. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that C3 Fort Worth is going to be a city on a hill. Come on, it's going to be a light in the darkness. And not because we're going to put ourselves there, but because we are going to empty ourselves even to the point of death. Come on, we are going to put ourselves in a place where we empty ourselves to the people on every street. We're going to help people see Jesus. Because we have the mind of Christ. We have the attitude of Jesus. We have the attitude of heaven. God, we will not live in a place where we play extremes. We will be extreme with our love. We will be extreme with our grace. We will be extreme with truth. We will be extreme with the person of Jesus. That will be the leading indicator of who we are as people. God, I pray that every person in here today who has beat themselves up over being too rational, beat themselves up over being too emotional, beat themselves up over leading with their heart, beat themselves up over leading with their mind, God, I pray right now they understand you gave them both. You made them both, and you want them to use both to bring glory to the Father, to empty themselves of the attitude of Christ, that we might be people who are always growing, always learning, always being shaped into the image of God. Glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on.